Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. I hope as you are all listening, that you continue to be healthy and finding ways to maneuver this strange time that we're living in. I'm so grateful to be able to continue to bring you some wonderful, interesting, and inspirational stories from home. And this evening is no different. Uh, Joining me in just a moment is Camille Schreier. Uh, Camille, who uh, became Miss America 2020 this year, is a local lady, although she spent um, quite a bit of time in Virginia, and we'll be talking about that. Um, I look forward to learning more about Camille's story of overcoming a major life challenge and where her sights are set now that she's earned this amazing new platform um, to have impact for her own personal causes. Be sure to stay with us as we go into our breaks to hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors, and be sure to visit our website at womentowatch.net to see who's coming up next. And love for you to uh, subscribe to our newsletter as well for all things related to the show. So now I'm very honored and happy to welcome to the show Camille. Camille, thanks so much for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's always nice to do something local. I bet. I bet. Even though we've been local, right? So we'll be we'll be <laughs> talking about that um, quite a bit probably during the show. You know, before we started, I was 
talking to you a little bit about the fact that your role as Miss America really was to be all about traveling and being out in communities and talking and meeting mm-hmm. new people. And that's taken such an abrupt um, turn for you. But I really want to give the listeners a little bit more um, of your background and, and where you came from mm-hmm. and what led you to winning. And um, from what I understand, you were born in Newtown, PA. Um, mm-hmm. I did read uh, that you were raised at some time in Scranton as well. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's actually not. So I was technically born in Doylestown and then very quickly transported down to Wrightstown, Newtown area. And so I have been in Newtown pretty much my entire life. I don't remember living anywhere else. And that has been such a wonderful, you know, the Internet is full of lots of different (laughs) pieces of information. I learned that so quickly (laughs) through this. So. Um, yeah, I absolutely, you know, I think that I might have some family heritage out in Scranton area, but I, um, actually, I've never lived anywhere but Newtown and Wrightstown. So, um, definitely love this area and grateful to have grown up here. Yeah, it's a beautiful area and I'm very familiar with, um, Newtown. Um, I have some family Mm -hmm. out there myself. Um, tell me about, and hopefully this is true. (laughs) <laughs> Tell me about your your years. Um, I, I understand you attended a, a private boarding school um, mm-hmm. during middle and high school years. Um, and that's yeah. a little bit, you know, non-traditional for many. Tell me what the experience was like for you. Yes. So I went to the Hun School of Princeton for um, some of my middle school and all of my high school education. And It's about 50% boarding, around 50% day, and I was a day student, but although I'm from Newtown, Pennsylvania, I would commute to New Jersey every day. It was only about 20 minutes, Um, and it was a really interesting experience because it kind of gave you a gateway into college experience as a high schooler, and Mm -hmm. I really was very active participating in athletics there and really got a great academic education, and the academics were really the reason that I went there. I thrive in a small classroom environment, and so... I chose to go there so that I was able to be academically challenged, but also had the support that I needed. And so definitely grateful to have had that experience. Um, and I think it prepared me well for college. Tell, tell me when you first became interested in science. So your mm-hmm. degrees are from Virginia Tech um, mm-hmm. in biochemistry and systems biology, and you're actually currently pursuing a doctorate in pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, when were you first, you know, what was that earliest memory of, of having that interest? Yeah, I, so I don't have like a, you know, gotcha moment of, wow, this is when I really thought that I loved science. And I kind of wish I did, because I think that would be a lot more exciting. But I really always loved science from my earliest memories of, you know, just being outside and playing with animals and gardening and watching things grow in my garden outside and then bringing it inside and cooking it, cooking and seeing how, you know, what I was cooking was changing forms as I was doing it. And what I didn't really realize then and what the people around me helped for me to realize was that all of those things that I loved were based in science. The living things that I loved were biology. You know, when I went in the kitchen and I cooked those things, a lot of chemistry was happening. And that really allowed me to understand what I was liking. And I think that my interests were not very different than other young children's. And it was just that my environment helped me understand that I really loved science. And that was something that I just really stuck with throughout my entire life. And there were so many different careers in science that I thought about taking 
but I was not sure where where my place was in STEM. And I think I finally found it in biochemistry, but it definitely was a crooked road. And um, I think exploration is probably the biggest piece that was that really helped me to be successful in a science career was not being afraid to try new things and to fail. Mm. Well, I would say that academically, it's it's more challenging those those mm-hmm. areas of study. Was it hard for you, or 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 did it you know come easy? Oh, it absolutely was hard for me. I and. I was never a straight A student. I mean, I, I did academically well. I did well enough to get into college, but I was not the, you know, the number one in the class every single time. Um, that was actually really a rare occurrence for me. And I think that for many young people, there's a perception that if you want to go into a STEM career, which is not a very easy place to go, that you have right. to be someone who has a 4.0, that you are a straight A student, and that you have to achieve at this sometimes unrealistically high level, especially when I got into a college curriculum. College science classes are extremely hard. I very much got comfortable with, you know, my grades ending up being terrible and then getting curved to something that was reasonable based upon, like, what how the class did. But it's it's normal to, to struggle with these things, and that doesn't mean that you're not good at them. It just means that you're being challenged in a way that's going to push you to learn. And for that, it took me a long time to realize. And I think I finally got to the point in my life where I understand why those challenges were so helpful for me. But yes, I was never at the top of the class. I definitely didn't get through those programs easy. And finishing my degrees in biochemistry and systems biology are some of my proudest accomplishments because they were some of the most (laughs) difficult things that I've done so far. I bet. I bet. Um, And a great message for for young girls considering it, um, what you just said. Camille, we're going to go into our first break. Uh, Stay with us for our Tech Watch with Mary Manzo. We'll be right back with Camille Schreier. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. Last week, I started my series on the types of technology advancements that have been made due to the present conditions in our world. Out of a very difficult situation called COVID-19, we're seeing many positive outcomes in technology advancements, specifically in the healthcare space. While doing research, and during a recent interview I did with one of our clients, Caregility, I learned that there's this thing called telemedicine and another called telehealth. I didn't know there was a difference, so in this week's segment, I'll be outlining the differences. First, telemedicine. Telemedicine uses electronic communications and software to provide clinical services to patients without an in-person visit. It can be used for such things as follow-up visits, management of chronic conditions, medication management, specialist consultation, and many other clinical services that can be provided remotely over secure video and audio connections. I'm sure many of you are quickly becoming accustomed to this approach. My daughter recently had a challenge with my one-year-old grandson and was able to hop on a telemedicine call with her pediatrician and get diagnosis very quickly. Now for telehealth. Telehealth includes a broad range of technologies and services to provide patient care and improve the healthcare delivery system as a whole. 
It distributes health-related services and information through electronic information and or telecommunication technologies. As an example, intensive care units may use telehealth systems to monitor patients and send alerts to doctors and nurses. I'm sure there's risks for both telemedicine and telehealth, and I'm sure these risks are being measured and worked on, but the biggest risk to me is not to have these solutions in times when we really need them. During next week's segment, I'll be discussing some of the incredible solutions our client, Caregility, has developed in the telehealth space and their rapid response to the needs of healthcare providers. If you'd like to share information on this topic, please reach out to me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Welcome back. I'm talking to Camille Schreier this evening, Miss America 2020. And your, your story is so interesting to me, Camille, because of kind of the diversity of your background and your interests. And I think people probably have um, certain perceptions of who a Miss America would be. And so, you know, I'm, I'm excited to kind of delve into your own story and, and see mm-hmm. how that is not the case. Um, one of the things I would imagine is a big part of your story is that you suffer from Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or EDS. Mm-hmm. Tell me, when were you first diagnosed and, and what made mm-hmm. uh, your parents kind of take you to, to figure that out? Yeah, I was diagnosed in 2007, I think. So many, many years ago now, I was in middle school and I ended up having a routine scoliosis check at school and my school nurse identified that she thought I had scoliosis, which wasn't super surprising because I have many family members that have scoliosis. And so I went to an orthopedic doctor to evaluate me and he kind of looked at me and my mom and was like, there's something else going on here that I think might be causing your scoliosis. And so he evaluated me and, he looked at my mom and went over and did something with her hands and said, you know what? You have it too. And we were just like, what, what are you talking about? And he's like, you and your mom both have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a genetic connective tissue disorder and it's hereditary. And so Camille, you have it and you absolutely got it from your mom. And it really was not something that we expected, but it more than helping me, it actually, I think helped my mom, arguably more than it did for me because my mom had struggled with chronic pain, chronic injury, all of these symptoms of this disorder for her entire life and was many times just kind of sworn off by doctors and said, you know what, you're kind of imagining this, go home, you're fine, we can't find anything wrong with you. But to get that answer about what explained all of the ailments that she had gone through for her entire life, and she was in her 40s at that point. And it gave me the opportunity to then have a diagnosis that when I had all of those same ailments when I was growing up to have something to fall back on to explain those. And so I suffer with a huge amount of chronic pain. I have joint pain, dislocations. I bruise very easily. And I actually do have some chronic fatigue from it. And so that tends to not be conducive to the job of Miss America. And so it makes it very difficult. Um, It reminds me that I have to take care of myself, which I think is something that everyone needs to do. And it uh, reminds me to do that. Wow. Is, is that, first of all, you know, any kind of chronic pain is, is really difficult to live with and, Mm -hmm. you know, being forced to kind of be at home and not as active as you, you know, would like Mm -hmm. to be. 
How have you been coping with that? I'm lucky I have um, some workout routines that I'm able to do at home. And, you know, staying active is absolutely right, is one of the things that I can help to do just to keep myself out of pain. Funny enough, you know, I'm, it's kind of a catch-22 because I can get injured very easily while exercising, but I have to exercise to keep myself from getting injured. So it's really a fine line. So I do a lot of low-impact exercises to keep myself Mm -hmm. strong without um, overexerting myself. Yeah. You know, Camille, something else that you've shared very openly um, with, with people is that you suffered from an eating disorder when you were younger. Mm-hmm. And yeah. even so, or in spite of that, you chose the pageant path. And I love what mm-hmm. you said in an interview. Yeah. You, you did that to kind of redirect your focus from the physical and appearance mm-hmm. um, and use the opportunity to, to have a platform and for social impact. And that takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell, me a, yeah, I, tell me about that decision. I wouldn't have competed if there was a focus on the physical attributes. And Miss America traditionally, like when people think of Miss America, you probably imagine women in bikinis and, you know, on the boardwalk of Atlantic City. And there's no swimsuit anymore. And that went away in 2018. And they actually removed all of the physical judging criteria from the judges' manuals um, as that happened. And I felt like as someone who had gone through body image issues, that was such a wonderful change because it opened up the ability for someone like me who it would have been unhealthy for me to put that focus on the physical just based upon my experiences. And it gave me the opportunity to go in and not feel like I was being judged about what I looked like, but solely on what I could offer. And I, you know, I was exactly who I was. I dress in the way that I like to dress, which is traditionally modest and I didn't feel like I needed to be anyone other than myself. And the the beautiful thing is, is that you can represent whoever you are. If you are a woman that wants to go and be in a swimsuit, there's competitions that are for that woman. Um, But this one was an opportunity for me to be authentically myself and not feel like I needed to have that focus on my body. And that gave me, I mean, such a wonderful way to just have my mind and my experience and my skills be at the forefront, which I think is what, was sometimes overshadowed by the physical piece of that because Miss Americas have always been incredibly accomplished and incredibly intelligent. And many things that people saw was just the swimsuit. Um, and I think that it's, it's really changed the entire perception. And so I'm grateful to be a part of that. I, I understand your mom encouraged you at that time, you know, when you were kind of trying to make that decision to really highlight your interest in science and, and share mm-hmm. that as part of the competition. Um, tell me yeah. about your relation. Tell me about your relationship with your mom. Uh huh. So my mom and I are really close, and we, you know, we kind of banter back and forth like mom and daughter normally do. But she definitely is kind of like people ask me if I had, you know, a coach or a publicist or any of these things like going into this process, and I'm like, that would be my mom. Um, and she <laughs> really does know a lot about this, and she's so smart and savvy in terms of how to, you know, be professional, but also put your best foot forward. And the joke in my family was, okay, well, Camille would do Miss America, but the swimsuit number one was a thing. But there's also the talent portion of the competition. And I cannot dance. It's actually like a comedy act if I try to dance. I'm not a singer. (laughs) And so it was like, what am I going to do for the talent? And my mom would joke and she's like, well, do calculus. 
And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to be boring. And so <laughs> do calculus loves, for the audience. I know. That's so funny. I was yeah. like, okay, I would put everyone to sleep. Is that a talent? If you put everyone to sleep in 90 seconds. Um, <laughs> and so I, I really settled on doing a science demonstration and she really encouraged me to do that. Um, I had talked a little bit about like, well, what if I like went to a vocal coach and like learned a song or like did one of those things. And she's like, just do you. She's like, this is your one chance. So I'm really Mm -hmm. glad that I did that because I think it really set me apart from the group. And I hope I encourage more people to be themselves. Yeah. Well, obviously you did because you won. So um, we're going to go, we're going to go in. Yeah. We're going to go into our, our next break. When we come back, I want to talk about your, your own personal initiatives Stay with us for our Finance Watch with Terry and Maggie. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Hi, this is Terry. And this is Maggie. And we're from Fortis Wealth. Last week, we talked about how women face more challenges to be prepared for retirement and a few ways to address that shortfall. We have more suggestions to share today. So what about working longer, Terry? Well, Morningstar research indicates that retirees who expect to work longer than normal retirement age are often unable to do so due to health and other factors. That said, delaying retirement can be the single most financially impactful decision a woman can make. Additional retirement plan contributions, delayed portfolio withdrawals, a shorter drawdown period, and delayed Social Security can all help to bolster a retirement plan. But working longer doesn't necessarily mean staying in a job that makes you miserable. Implementing just a couple of the working longer benefits just mentioned can still improve your plan. So when should we take Social Security? Well, according to the Social Security Administration, women rely more heavily on those benefits than men do. They represent more than half of all beneficiaries at age 62 and older, and two-thirds of those over the age of 85. This highlights the value of maximizing the lifetime value of your benefits. If you think you have longevity on your side, consider delaying Social Security claiming to increase the eventual benefit. Married couples should focus their decisions on maximizing lifetime income over both partners' lives. For women who claim a spousal benefit, it may make sense for the higher-earning spouse to delay Social Security, if possible, to maximize the eventual benefit for the surviving spouse. So what about health care costs in retirement, Terry? Well, because of longer life expectancy, a woman will probably spend more for health care than a man, and she's more likely to need paid long-term care. Using a health savings account, if you can, can help because they offer pre-tax savings, tax-free growth, and tax-free benefits when used for medical expenses, long-term care insurance premiums, or out-of-pocket long-term care expenses. It's important to work with an advisor with an expertise in retirement planning and all these issues. Please visit our website, fortis-wealth.com. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. So happy to be with Camille Schreier this evening. Miss America 2020. Um, and also, I guess, a, a scientist, an aspiring um, scientist. I know you're going for your, your doctorate in pharm- pharmacy, I'll say. T- what mm-hmm. is the ultimate, yeah, what is your goal? What do you hope to do with that degree? 
I really was inspired to get a PharmD because I worked in a pharmaceutical company for two years. And so living in southeastern Pennsylvania, I'm right across the river from New Jersey, where many of the headquarters are for those pharmaceutical companies. And I had the opportunity to intern at one for two years and really was there and didn't realize that pharmacists could work in the pharmaceutical industry. And I was just really inspired by that and wanted to pursue graduate education at that point. And so that seemed like a wonderful match for me. And so I am a little bit non-traditional in the sense that I didn't expect to ever work kind of in a traditional pharmacy role. Um, but, you know, I did science on the Miss America stage, so I'm, it's pretty on brand with me being non-traditional. Um, and so I'm hoping to work for a pharmaceutical company later. I still have three more years of my education. So after I'm done my time as Miss America, I will go back and finish that education. Now, are you so three more years? Um, t one of the questions I had for you, because, you know, you're um, you're young and you're still um, pursuing mm -hmm. your education. And we're talking and thinking a lot about people that are in school right now. What is are you I'm assuming you're continuing to work from home online and are you is your plan to go back into the classroom? Yes. Okay. So I am absolutely still working from home. Um, my job is Miss America is full time. And so I don't balance school and Miss America at the same time. But whenever I am done my role as Miss America, I will return to school. My plan is to return in 2021 um, and continue on and finish those three years of my doctor of pharmacy. And I'm, I'm a little grateful, honestly, that it, this was the year that I took off because I really feel for those students who had to adapt into virtual learning. I don't know how I would have adapted with that. And so I, I do feel for those students who are trying to adapt to the, the changing circumstances. Right. Now, I understand your personal initiatives are around um, drug safety and abuse prevention. Mm -hmm. Tell me why yeah. those two areas. So I'm really lucky that I don't have a personal connection to um, drug abuse. And I feel like I'm probably the only person that I've met recently that can say that because it is so prevalent now. Um, I work, I have a mom that's a nurse and I work a lot with medication safety because of that experience. I was the kid that always got sick. And so my mom had always, you know, I grew up with her taking me to the pharmacy, learning what was in different medications, how to take them properly. She would measure them and time out when I was taking them. And when I went to pharmacy school, I realized how rare that was that she knew to do that and also how easy it is for parents to accidentally harm a child with medications that seem really benign. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was my role as a student pharmacist to take that and make that my initiative. But I also had the opportunity to take a naloxone training. And so naloxone is the generic name for Narcan, which is the opioid overdose reversal medication. And I did not understand the gravity of the opioid epidemic that's happening in our country. And particularly in Philadelphia is one of the hardest hit areas. I didn't understand that until I took that class. And I was pretty much looking at my classmates like, why are people not talking about this? And so I added that on to be part of my medication safety and abuse prevention, particularly because a lot of opioid abuse does come from a prescription medication that was prescribed to patients and then that can sometimes turn into addictive potential. So I work a lot with that, um, but I'm grateful that I haven't been affected personally and there are so many people that have been. That's absolutely right. And people from all backgrounds and areas of life, it's really mm -hmm. across the board. Um, 
I would imagine you're kind of tuned into the science news of the day. Are you? How do you? How are you dealing with the news in particular? A lot of us are, you know, trying to limit ourselves to the news. But um, as someone who's, you know, in science, are you paying mm-hmm. close attention? I'm definitely paying attention to all things coronavirus um, as much as I can. I think that it's it's hard because it's kind of like information overload at this point. But, you know, the interesting part about being you know a scientist during this time is that science is what will get us out of this. And science is kind of what caused it in the sense of, you know, bacteria and viruses are things that can be really dangerous to public health. And so... It's, it's scientists and people that are public health officials that will help us get through this. So I'm definitely interested in it. I think it's, you know, a topic that is really um, something that I'm interested in focusing on, particularly because of the healthcare piece of it. So yes, been, yes. I've, been, I've been keeping my ears open. <laughs> yeah, there's so I, and I think it's, it's so difficult because doctors and, and nurses and people within the science field and the health field, um, are not all agreeing on, on things as well. And I, I would say a lot of people have become quite philosophical throughout this. And, mm-hmm. you know, what is happening? What is, what is this bigger picture? And I, I wanted to ask you if you think there's something bigger going on around the pandemic. I, you know, I don't really know. I think the biggest thing in terms of being philosophical through this, I think that people have had really a unique opportunity to reconnect kind of with who they are because we all are trapped at home. Um, right. We have more time to spend with our families. We have more time to, to think through the issues because we're not running a hundred miles an hour like we normally are. So I think it's, it's really given us this strange opportunity as this society that is normally on full speed all the time to take a moment to think. Um, I think that, you know, it's given us this, I mean, for me, it's changed everything about what I do. Um, and it's given me time to reconnect with, you know, even hobbies in my personal time and, and develop that work-life balance at home. Um, but yeah, I, um, that's, that's the biggest thing I think in terms of philosophicalness <laughs> going through this process. I think people have different ideas of, you know, how and why the pandemic was created and how it happened. But uh, I'm focusing on what we can do next. Right. And, you know, whether we should reopen or not reopen is on everybody's mind. And, and, and that's a tough issue, too. Um, yeah. Tell me what are what do you you know, how do you manage the fear, your own fear during the pandemic? Mm-hmm. We're all afraid at different points. Yeah, I think that for me, I you know, I'm at a low risk category. We're all at risk for this. But my biggest fear is being a vector. I'm the perfect vector because I travel around the country um, and I shake people's hands and I meet people and I'm going to all different age groups. And so my biggest thing is making sure that what I'm doing is helping to keep people safe, mm. especially just because, you know, it's not about me. And even if I'm not the one that ends up getting the virus, if I were to bring that to someone else who wanted to come and meet Miss America, then that would be the worst thing for me to have yep. happen. So right. I'm very conscious of that. And so I'm, I'm still stationed at home until further notice. And until, um, right, following the rules. On the road. <laughs> yeah, good. Exactly. I, I want to be the example. <laughs> right. Okay, stay with us. We're going to go into our last break. Uh, you'll hear our health watch with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. 
Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Watch Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. COVID-19 has had a very large impact on our healthcare system. Emergency rooms across the country prepared for the surge. Doctors' offices and hospitals converted routine visits for less urgent conditions to telehealth and postponed elective tests and surgeries like colonoscopy and hip and knee replacements. This would keep hospital beds open and prevent hospitals and healthcare workers from being overwhelmed with the need for ventilators and protective gear. Just to give you an idea, on a recent local TV news report, Dr. Chris Johnson, assistant professor of epidemiology from Temple University, stated that maybe about 20% of New York City has been infected with COVID-19, but look how it overwhelmed many of their hospitals. Another unexpected consequence? Now many patients seem to fear coming to the hospital at all, even for emergencies. Detective John Mick from the Lower Marion Police Department is Deputy Chief of Narberth Ambulance, serving 11,000 patients a year. He reports their calls have dropped by as much as 40% in recent weeks. Many people are so worried about exposure to COVID-19 in the emergency departments that they wait to seek help, hoping that chest pain or signs of strokes will just go away. A recent report in Forbes Online states that many emergency departments have seen the expected rise in patients with COVID symptoms, but alarming decrease in other serious non-COVID symptoms like chest pain and weakness, possible heart attack and stroke. We'd expect a decrease in trauma cases with fewer cars on the road. An emergency room doctor in South Carolina sees cases like appendicitis appearing later when the appendix has already ruptured. Toughing it out at home made the situation much more dangerous. A heart surgeon from Mount Sinai sees a decrease in people with chest pain. A neurologist from Yale told the Washington Post he's seen a 60 to 80% drop in admissions for patients with stroke symptoms in the course of a month. Divas with emergency symptoms, call 911 STAT. Minutes make a difference between life and death, and the hospitals are ready for you. Stay well, and happy Mother's Day. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. My guest this evening is Camille Schreier, Miss America 2020. And um, Camille, I know something else that's really important to you and to me as well um, is, you know, really trying to support and inspire girls around the field of STEM. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what what are some of your initiatives? What do you hope and plan to do um, to, to teach and educate them, why, why it matters, mm-hmm. you know, why do we need more women in, in the field? Yeah, I think my biggest role through this process is to inspire. Um, I can kind of take the role of a science educator sometimes, and I do want to educate about different pieces of science, but more than anything, to show young people, especially young girls, how relevant science can be. Because I know when I was a student, One of the biggest things that motivated me to learn was when I saw where it could be applied or some of the exciting ways that it could be applied. So I travel into schools and I do science demonstrations and I talk about science 
and I run around like the mad scientist, but I always have my crown on. And I want those little <laughs> girls, especially, to see that, first of all, that science is really, really fun. It's fun. It's exciting. It's upbeat. Talk to them about why it's relevant, but also that they can see that a girl with a crown on her head and a dress on with heels on can do science too, because there's some really strange thing that happens in our society that I continue to run into where people and even young girls think that you can't be girly and you can't be feminine and be a scientist at the same time. There's some disconnect there where, okay, a woman can be a scientist, but you don't wear makeup and you don't wear heels and you don't wear dresses. And I don't know where that comes from. And I hope that I can change that because if a girl can see me, I've been called the science princess by many little girls and they start to dress (laughs) up with lab coats and crowns on. And I love it too. And just for them to know that they don't have to choose between being a princess and being a scientist, that's my ultimate goal for them. Just to know that there's no limit and no boundary on what they can do. And if I, I don't want them to go into science if they don't like science. But to know right. that there's a place or to wear dresses or to wear dresses yeah. if they don't want to wear dresses. Right. It's not about yeah. it's not about their appearance. It's, it's all about knowing that you have the option to do whatever you want to do if that's authentic to who you are. And also, even if maybe you don't think that you're going to pursue a career in science, maybe if I can remind one of those young people in the rooms that I go into why science is important and have them appreciate it in a different way, I still feel like that is just as important. So when you're going and, and working with these young girls, are you seeing, it's a different generation, right? My generation mm-hmm. is different from your generation and now you're working with these young girls. Where do you yeah. see their level of confidence and self-esteem? Because we do have so many um, initiatives and support today and messaging the right messaging for young girls do you think do you think they're 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 more confident i'm not sure about that because i'm concerned in terms of social media with the younger generation i did not grow up in the era of social media that was something that came about when i was probably mid to late high school and so i didn't grow up with that at, at the ages that i'm going into but now i'm going into elementary schools where students have smartphones and they're on instagram and twitter and facebook and tiktok and they then have that level of comparison to other people way earlier than i ever did you know i was looking at my friends in class like thinking about you know how i compared to them which is a normal thing for young people to do it's part of the growing process but it puts such a magnifying glass on that issue for those young students who are in such a vulnerable age category. And so that really concerns me from that perspective. And I, I always do kind of like a survey with the groups that I go into. And I say like, raise your hand if you ever felt uncomfortable doing something different because of what your friends do. And almost every student raises their hand when I say that. And I talk about that in terms of, you know, being a candidate for Miss America who went in and did a talent that no one else has done. Now, one woman did it in 2015, but this is not something that's traditional and it can be scary to do something that's different. And so I think it's important and I find that to be such a huge piece of what I end up doing is talking to those young women and really young men as well, because they're in the same situation about being okay with exactly who you are, because there is that level of comparison that comes so early with social media. 
Oh, exactly. That's that's the word, the comparison, right? It's mm-hmm. how do you stay yeah. true to, to your to yourself when you're seeing um, what mm-hmm. the rest of the world is doing? That's really hard. Exactly. It's hard for that age category. It's hard for me as someone who is an adult. And so I can't right. imagine at that age having that level of comparison and um, then the bullying that can happen online. And it's just it's it can be really damaging to those young people. What would you say to, I know that there are critics of, of pageants, you know, and, mm-hmm. and naysayers, and, and I'm sure that, you know, you've done, you're continually doing interviews um, on mm-hmm. TV, radio. What do you say to the naysayers? I think that I speak solely with my experience in the Miss America organization, which really has gone so far away from the traditional pageant that it was. Um, and that's really controversial for a lot of people because there was that tradition and historical piece of this organization that's almost 100 years old, that it was a pageant. But in 2020, it's not really anymore. And I'm okay with that. And that's part of why I participated, because I'm a young professional who was looking for an opportunity to gain experience and also gain scholarship money. And so I not only make a salary as Miss America, but I've won around $77,000 of of scholarship assistance that will go directly toward my graduate program. And I think as almost like a paid internship for me to gain experience, be able to advocate for a social cause and not have to put on a swimsuit to do that job. And I think that for me as an individual, that was a really great place for me to be in. Um, and all pageants are different around our country. There's there's so many different organizations um, that crown title holders. But in this organization, it has given me an opportunity to have so much more than just, you know, a crowning moment. Like what you see on the broadcast is a, just a, a snapshot of the beginning of my year. And then there's so many other experiences that come after that. So it is so much more than what you see. Um, and it really can be valuable and empowering for young women. Um, am I right, Camille, that you were crowned in December? I was December of 2019. So you're six months, I guess you're halfway through. Uh, just about, yeah. Yeah. And do you, gosh, I hope you, you have an opportunity to be out and about, you know, before, <laughs> uh, before the end. Me too. I, you know, I'm hoping to get back on the road as soon as possible, but I've kind of come to the conclusion that, you know, I don't, I don't have control over that. So I am doing as much as I can from home to be able to continue to make an impact. um, If this is what the cards have been dealt for me. Does the organization, I'm curious as you're, as you are home and it's completely the opposite Mm -hmm. of what you would have been doing. How are they supporting you? Do they set you up with, with, you know, Mm -hmm. the interviews and things you're doing? Yeah, I have wonderful people that help to procure um, different events that I'm doing, and then I'm finding them too. And so we're kind of working in tandem to make sure that I am continuing to make the impact that I want to make. Um, been right. doing a lot of home videos, doing YouTube content, and um, that is the benefit of social media. I will say that is being able to connect That's with right. people virtually and um, yeah. keep people updated to what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I wish you continued success and, and um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story this evening. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. 
That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you to our sponsors and our watch team for their continued support. And I hope everybody stays safe and healthy as we set our sights on reopening and getting back to living. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.